This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Cherry Leaf's Contract and Recruitment Service. If you need a contract or permanent technical communicator, such as a UX writer, API documentation writer, or technical author in the UK or mainland Europe, then contact info at cherryleaf.com. Hello. Hey. <laughs> so let's dive in. Do you want to introduce who you are, where you're based? That's probably a good start. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Sarah Feldman and I'm based in San Diego, California. If I understand correctly, you were until last week at MindTouch and you're now available for new positions and new opportunities for any company that's hiring. Is that right? That is correct at this time. Well, fingers crossed on that. Thank you. I think there is a danger with some people that they don't let people know of change situations. And it's good sometimes to let people know. Then people have the opportunity to help where they can. I agree. You suggested the topic of how technical writing needs to evolve. I take this has come from your experience at MindTouch or your speaking engagements. What prompted your thoughts to pick this as a topic? A combination of all of the above. I've been fortunate in my career to have great jobs as well as opportunities to engage with the industry at large, both at conferences, in person, and digitally, of course, presenting and attending opportunities to to sort of see trends in the industry mm. and also, of course, be very close to the technology side of things and see how the technology is evolving. And I've been very interested in observing how the technique of writing may need to evolve alongside the technology. And just to help people that are listening, in terms of your background and the things that you've done in the past, which have also had an input into this, what sort of roles have you had in the past? Yeah, sure thing. So my background is in technical writing, mm -hmm. and I feel really fortunate that the foundation of my technical writing career happened alongside support and service organizations, particularly customer support teams, because I've been very close to the front lines of customer demand from the support perspective. And I think that's really helped shape my perspective of how technical writing really serves customer experience. And so that's been my background for years. And then most recently, I've been focused more on content experience, which is looking at content a little bit more holistically, mm -hmm. still a little bit more through the lens of the post-sale customer experience. But of course, we know that content is blending across the customer journey. We don't have as much delineation between pre-sale and post-sale content as we used to, mm -hmm. thanks to a lot of changes in technology and consumer behavior. In the last couple of years, my work has become more relevant across the customer journey and holistically across the company. So your experience is working for software companies? Yes, primarily with software companies. And I think you're also involved with the STC San Diego chapter. So I, I take it you're engaged in talking to other technical writers involved or working at other companies? Yes, absolutely. I've been volunteering to help organize the San Diego chapter of STC for, I think, over four years now. It's wow. been a little bit, uh, which has been really rewarding, eye-opening, and, and another great opportunity to connect with folks in the industry across disciplines as well. And STC is the Society for Technical Communication for those that 
haven't heard of that. Well, let's start then with a question. Why do technical writers need to evolve? There are a couple things. First, as I mentioned already a bit, which is that content has become more relevant across the customer journey. So all of a sudden that makes our work have to look more wide in scope at the customer journey. But a couple of driving forces in particular Mm -hmm. stand out to me as really accelerating our need to evolve as part of that. So one, of course, is, as we've talked about, the subscription economy. And this has really enabled customers to have more choice and control in their purchasing decisions. And so content has become a business critical layer of the customer experience throughout their life cycle. And that includes things like onboarding and retention and ongoing customer success. Really, technical writing has become essential to helping customers experience value. Uh, We talk about value realization from engaging with a company or a service. Because you have this idea of customers for life where they're paying Mm -hmm. every month. But of course, if they give up after just a week or two, then you've not had enough money from them to justify or to sustain your business. So you need to get them using the product and keep using the product. And if they get stuck, fix their problems quickly or get them started as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so the writing part of technical writing needs to do more than just document functionality. It needs to really be something that assists the customer in in realizing the value from the product. So as you said, they continue to be customers. Okay, so that's one aspect. Anything Mm -hmm. else? Another thing, a second primary driving force that I see is, of course, the new types of interactions fueled by technology and consumer behavior that has changed as a result of it. So the the different types of devices that consumers are now using to engage with content is quite diverse. And especially when it comes to the actual user interface is when this really comes into play. So you have devices with or without visual interfaces Mm -hmm. without physical interfaces and consumers expectations depending on what sort of device they're using their expectations change about what sort of content they expect to get in that interaction and is that something that you've seen happening today or something that you see happening in the near future i think it's already here certainly with smart speakers and iot devices Mm -hmm. and smart home devices that content that you know we know is technical writing content, instructional guiding content becomes a part of the experience of using those devices. So what should technical writers be doing differently? Well, first of all, I think technical writers need to be aware of how their content is being interacted with and really embrace the perspective of the consumer. Now, of course, This is something that's in our foundation, audience analysis and creating content that meets audience needs. Mm -hmm. But we have to be more aware than ever about exactly how the consumer is consuming that content and their real-time context for consuming content. A lot of that includes needing to understand user intent and needs. Mm -hmm. Google's published a bunch of research about this that I really like to follow on the Think with Google website actually it's it's meant for marketers but as a technical communication professional i've found a lot of value in following them Mm -hmm. so that's the think with google and they've been talking about micro moments for many years now Mm -hmm. 
And then they've more recently last year published research around canonical needs and what customers are really looking for. And this is just another way to talk about how customers are not looking for feature information. They're looking to solve a problem, to go somewhere, to accomplish something, to be entertained. That's how they experience value from a product or a service. So by canonical needs, you mean the different types of things that they're looking for when they do a search? Is that right or is it something different? It is like that. So this is borrowing from the research that Google published and hopefully you can perhaps publish a link, Mm -hmm. uh, post a link here in the show notes. And they list six canonical needs that research has identified as surprise me, help me, reassure me, educate me, impress me, and thrill me. So as technical writers, we probably are most comfortable with the help me need, but we should be very aware of whatever product we're writing for is maybe supporting these other needs that we're not used to thinking about. It's that difference between, I guess, the pre-sales and the post-sales that if it's post-sales and they're stuck, then they want the information there and then to get unstuck. But if they're looking at what options there are for a solution and making a decision on which to buy, and then they're diving in to the more technical information to prove that the solution really does deliver what it promises, that there's that balance to be more engaging and more, I guess, empathetic with their situation and trying to get the balance between the two of those two contexts. Yeah, I totally agree. And even in a post-sales world, technical content isn't always problem solving or troubleshooting. It is sometimes guiding the customers to use a product or service to experience other things in life, to connect with their friends or family, to become smarter or professionally develop in their own right. And so our content can help them do that. What's the best way of understanding the user's intents and needs then? That's a great question. And I would say that that involves a lot of collaboration. I mean, of course, we know that we can't do anything in our jobs without a lot of collaboration, but this is where something like the customer success management function that's really exploded the last several years becomes those CSMs for me and organizations become my best friends. They're in addition to support, as I mentioned before, support is my sort of like original best friends in an organization. And that CSM function is the new best friend group that you need to connect with because they have a really deep understanding of what users are trying to do, problems they're trying to solve with a product or service. And I love to shadow CSM meetings, Mm -hmm. actually to hear CSMs talk about what customers are experiencing directly. And then of course, any chance you have to engage with customers directly, whether that's shadowing other types of interactions, usability testing, being out in conferences, finding the voice of your customer wherever they are. And search and search analytics, is that a part or is that overemphasized? Where does that fit into things? I think search analytics are a part of that, but I would also say that that fits more into things when it comes to the next step of once you understand what purpose your content is serving in your customer's world, search analytics help you then make sure that you're delivering the right content at the right time for how they're looking for it. 
Yeah, I'm a big proponent of technical writers getting their hands on search logs, both through Google Webmasters to see what folks are searching for on Google, and then as well, talk to your marketing teams, your knowledge-based tool administrators, and I want to see weekly or at least monthly search logs of what users are looking for, because that's a very valuable insight into. You don't have as much other opportunities for your users to literally type words about what they're looking for. And then, of course, another version of that is, again, connecting with your customer support teams, looking at tickets, Mm -hmm. uh, if tickets are emailed in or shadowing those conversations and hearing how your customers are talking about things. So search logs, support tickets, customer success managers, and the usability research team. Four best friends that each technical (laughs) writer should have. It's a great way of describing it. So that's looking at the types of people that technical writers should be talking to to get information and understanding, I guess, in terms of what's new, getting more empathy and understanding of what they're trying to solve and then writing in a way that matches that situation. Is that right? Yes, well said. Yes, I think that's well said. And delivering it in different ways to maybe the ways they've done before? Yes, this is something that I think technical writers need to move forward on a bit more. And some of this will be limited by the current tools or your technology stack. Mm -hmm. But thinking about priorities from the customer perspective, in particular, time to publish is a really good example. Some traditional tech comm tool stacks have somewhat lengthy publishing cycles Mm -hmm. or This could even be your internal review cycle. As a technical writer, I agree as much as anyone who cares about quality and thoroughness. Mm. But I think there are times when lengthy review cycles, which are designed to ensure a certain type of quality, end up hindering things that are actually priorities for the customer, in particular time to publish. And are there any good examples of companies out there that are doing it right today that are worth mentioning? I think any company that has a publishing process that's as close to real time as possible is a company that's doing it right. One methodology that supports this that I'm certified in and that I focus on a bit in my career is called knowledge-centered service. Mm -hmm. It's a knowledge management practice that support and service organizations follow that empowers frontline support agents, we call them knowledge workers, Mm -hmm. actually empowers them to publish content real time to the knowledge base. And there are times that when first introducing this concept in organizations, folks like technical writers can sort of shudder Mm -hmm. because you bypass a lot of the traditional quality standards, but there are ways with content standards and training and template set up that you can really enable your frontline customer service folks to publish content real time. And one way that I like to sort of disarm everyone about it is that if your support agents are qualified mm-hmm. to help customers individually, one-on-one, over the phone, via email, via a screen share, they're already transferring new information real time to customers. And so if you just take that one step further and enable that information instead of just going through a one-to-one interaction, but being published real-time into a knowledge base, all of a sudden 
that's a one-to-many content experience that's instantly available. So playing devil's advocate on that, isn't there a danger that one support person will write an answer to a problem and then another technical support person will write a similar answer to the same problem and that you end up with issues of multiple versions of the same information? Yes, that's a great point. And that's why a part of following KCS methodology recommends certain behaviors that would prevent something like that. Uh, In particular, agents are encouraged to search first before they just publish to the knowledge base. Mm -hmm. So before they would actually create content, they would make sure that it's not there already. One other example I would think about or I would mention relative to customer priorities is also writing style. And some of this can have to do with just how information is even organized. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of sort of moving beyond the traditional user guide layout of information where you might have an introduction and some contextual information and then move through things in a sort of regimented way. Mm -hmm. I like to look at the inverse pyramid Mm -hmm. example from journalism, which is that you put the most important information at the beginning of the article and then you add context later. And so that's something that I think technical writing should embrace even more. If you can answer the question in one sentence at the top of the page, do so. And then for folks who need more context or more instruction in order to achieve that answer, then they can keep reading to find that. I'd agree with that. I was taught in a method called information mapping. And one of the parts of that is that you do the inverse pyramid. You try and give people the information they need right at the top. And then if they want more, they can read down further than that. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about things that technical writers should do differently and do in addition to what they've done in the past. Is there anything that they shouldn't be doing? One is a bit of an extension of the traditional user guide example that I just gave, which is really working towards mentally separating content from format. Mm -hmm. I think due to our previous publishing methods that the tool that the previous tools enabled we really have this connection in our mind of what content looks like from a format perspective and that's whether we're talking about file types or how information is organized on a page the fact that we're even thinking about pages or articles anytime you say a noun that sort of describes the output of content Mm -hmm. you're coupling content and format in your mind And we need to think more about content as information or the message that customers need. And then format or delivery methods are a secondary consideration or a a separate consideration. I think the profession struggles from finding the right words because often you end up using the word document when it's not really a document that you're talking about, but it's a thing that people can as it were, put in a wheelbarrow and visualize and grasp that something that's not too abstract, but maybe message is a better word, a word that we should be using more for this type of thing. Yep. Or I've used knowledge objects before because I think anyone who's familiar with how databases work and database objects. So if you think about it as, you know, information that's in a database has no output, really. It's just there Mm -hmm. available to be output wherever needed. And even specifically, sometimes you see documents, as you just said, 
sort of personify themselves where the intro sentence will say, this article is about XYZ or this document or this guide will walk you through. And I think an easy sort of first step of getting used to actually practicing separating content and format is ensuring you're not using that type of language in your content. So one of the other buzzwords around in the profession is component-based content management systems. Would you say that knowledge objects and component-based content management systems are one and the same or slightly different? I think a CCMS that you just mentioned is an example of how you would actually implement what I'm describing as knowledge objects, yes. And do you think they could be implemented in other ways outside of that? Yeah, well, certainly there are many folks who don't have a CCCMS, so it's more of a mental exercise, Mm -hmm. and they might be storing the content. I mean, Microsoft Word is still year after year listed as the most popular or most widely used Tool There's a, there is writers. a difference between popular and widely used widely when, it, used. when it comes to Microsoft Word. <laughs> yes, I agree. Thanks for calling that out. I think it's, a, it's, worth, it's worth pointing out. Most widely used. <laughs> if you're using Microsoft Word, my guess is you may not have access to a CCMS. Mm. And so we need to find ways to think differently about our content, even if we don't have the sort of modern tools. So knowledge objects break things down from looking at things at documents or even pages, but in terms of moving away from that, anything else they should be doing differently? Yeah, so drilling into that a little bit more within the information or message that ends up in whatever the output is. See, now I have to think carefully about the words (laughs) that I'm using so I don't sound like a hypocrite. It's It really takes practice. It's quite a mental shift. Thinking about groupings of content, so there's a lot of folks out there talking about micro content or atomized content, which is thinking about content in the smallest chunks possible. Mm -hmm. Of course, DITA folks are very experienced at thinking about content in this way, but it can be as simple as thinking about that a paragraph at the top of a page might not actually be delivered with the next paragraph. If you think about how information is delivered through smart speakers or virtual assistants. And so we might be used to constructing information in a way where it's very dependent on sort of a previous next layout. Mm -hmm. And we have to get used to separating that. Our content, for example, has to be effective enough without an image and vice versa. And so thinking about how often we use relative terms that really lose meaning when your delivery mechanism changes. So the classic one is where somebody might say, as we mentioned earlier, or see below, I guess those mm-hmm. those are redundant when you don't know what's come before or what will come after the thing that mm-hmm. you've written. Yeah. Yep. See, see above, see below. The word see implies that there's a visual user interface in the content delivery there. So there's a lot of sort of gotcha words that we're used to using that we need to practice weeding out of our content. So would it be a case of taking those out or using more neutral words or having conditional text so you've got different words for different contexts or it depends? (laughs) It depends Hmm. for sure. 
I think uh, at a minimum, trying to avoid them. Now, depending on your technology stack, you might have the tools that enable you to sort of plug in variables mm -hmm. that automatically change depending on the delivery method. Although your classic example of this is a variable that changes from click to tap mm -hmm. from you know a desktop to phones. But we also forget that a lot of times folks might be looking at the phone version in order to do something on the desktop. So even that, depending on that, mm -hmm. um, can fall apart. And of course, if the content's being delivered over a smart speaker, then you don't know if a customer is using a desktop or a phone. Now, you mentioned Ditter earlier. Does it mean that you have to move to Ditter to, to deliver this or are there other routes to get to the same goal? Absolutely, Ditter is not a requirement. Ditter is something that is very valuable for very particular use cases, but it's very resource intensive. So you need to have the right use cases to experience ROI. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have a lot of folks who, once again, are authoring in Microsoft Word, not in Dita tools. So that's where I think starting with the practice of eliminating the words that are context dependent and learning how to figure out alternative phrasing to describe things no matter what tool mm -hmm. or publishing method you're using. And is there anything else in addition to those aspects that they should, the technical writers should be doing less of? Have we covered the, the main aspects? We've covered the main ones when we're talking about English, of course, but another thing that's ramping up quite rapidly is translation already happens manually all over the place, and machine translation is really getting close to being pretty good enough mm -hmm. for many use cases. And so having a general awareness of how to write in a way for efficient translation or more accurate machine translations is something that I think technical writers need to get more familiar with. And actually the MailChimp style guide has a great section on how to think about writing for translation. When we were talking earlier, prior to starting recording this, you mentioned customer-focused delivery. Do you want to explain what's meant by that and where that fits into things? Sure. So this is, in a sense, I think customer-focused delivery is a bit of a catch-all for sort of wrapping up in a bow everything we've been talking about when it comes to actually executing on all of this. You have your customer's context and their needs in mind. You understand their pain points and the problems they're trying to solve from collaborating with your work best buddies then when it comes to actually delivering it, I mentioned this a bit from when we talked about search logs, that using your customer's voice and word choice in the content itself is one of the best ways to make sure that the right content actually gets delivered to your customers. So finding ways to actually incorporate their language into what and how you're describing things will, of course, increase findability. So knowledge-centered service, KCS that I mentioned before, has a, a solve for this, that when you're actually capturing content or knowledge real time during a customer interaction, you're capturing the customer's words mm -hmm. and their context, and that becomes a part of the knowledge that is saved in the knowledge base. Does personalization fit into this as well? And so any thoughts on how it does? Yes, personalization absolutely fits in. Personalization is a great example of something that is really being enabled by new technology, and that allows 
content delivery to be more dynamic. So this is when you start talking about things like metadata and tagging. Hopefully some of that's being done in an automated way where, yes, you're capturing your customer's context and words in your content, but you're actually able to deliver content in a way that's hyper relevant to the user because your delivery mechanism has data or information about your customer so it can real time present the most relevant information to that user. For those people who are working today and using various different tools that are out there and all these things that should be going on and things that shouldn't be going on, how difficult is it to achieve this? Is this for the birds? Is this actually doable? People doing it today? Great question. Yes to all of the above. It is difficult to do, but it is very doable with the right tools. And this is where you hear disciplines like content engineering and content operations gaining popularity because it really does take work and expertise and resources to actually enable these tools to deliver content in a way that's really tailored to customer expectations and the personalization aspect that we talked about. So what do you mean by content engineering and content operations? There are folks who are much more qualified to talk about this than me, but it is a matter of knowing how to connect the tools in the back end for that real-time dynamic content delivery. So you talked about a CCMS. Mm -hmm. That's a great example. Or data authoring is another one. How can you take your entire content library, which is in a database essentially, and then publish it to the right channels in the right way at the right time. And that takes technology and tool integration. So the operational aspect of actually publishing and organizing the information once it's been written and the architecture of the deliverables has all been set. Yes. Yeah, is there anything that people should prioritize of all the things that we've talked about, do you think? Yes. Doing all the things perfectly, writing for translation perfectly, avoiding jargon, eliminating relative content or context-specific references. It's impossible to do it all perfectly, Mm -hmm. right? And there's going to be compliance reasons why you can't have perfect time to publish. There's going to be product-specific reasons why you can't necessarily follow all of the writing for translation recommendations. So this is where judgment and experience is required and technical writers need to prioritize what's most important for their customers, keeping in mind what the business objectives are of your company. So what's going to be the thing that enables your customers to be most successful in a way that makes them want to stay customers? And that should always be the sort of guiding light or your North Star for how you make these decisions of what you can do the best. Now, if somebody's based in the States and they want to do this, they want to get input from you to do it either in terms of advice on steering the direction or hiring you in terms of being a technical writer to do the words, what's the best way of them contacting and getting hold of you? Probably my LinkedIn, the LinkedIn URL slash Sarah Feldman. So you're Sarah without an H and you're... Sarah without an H, S-A-R-A. 
Feldman. And Feldman with just one N at the end. Correct. Um, and of course, if they're in the UK, they can come to Cherry Leaf and we can help fund these things as well. What sort of opportunities are you interested in? I appreciate you asking that. I know that I can be really effective at helping organizations think about content in a more holistic way while being sort of obsessed with the customer perspective and their experience with how they actually engage with content. And a lot of that has to do with content analytics and data-driven optimization, which we haven't even, you know, that's another podcast Mm. episode on its own, I think. And really connecting the dots in an organization between what the customer-facing teams are experiencing and connecting that back to product value proposition and making sure that everyone internally is speaking in a way that represents what the customers need. Are there any other topics we should cover or questions that I should ask you? I love the question, the question about questions. (laughs) Very meta. Um, I think we've covered the essentials, the sort of perspective that I try and bring to the conversation about technical writing. I think maybe the best question is actually for the audience to ask themselves is how can they be more self-aware of tendencies or habits or even beliefs they have about what proper technical writing is and what are some things that they maybe need to let go of to make room for embracing how to create content in a way that's optimized for the customer experience. Yes. And that's going to be different for everyone. Thank you for that. We've had a few technical issues, which hopefully we can edit out. (laughs) So it will be seamless to the people that are listening to this. We'll see. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Thank you.